I, I wanted to share with you again uh, this uh, short video that Pastor David Rosales uh, shared on his Facebook page. So here it is. Hi, this is Pastor David Rosales. I'm the pastor of Calvary Chapel of the Chino Valley. And I wanted to answer a question that I was asked this last week, and I thought I'd do so on Facebook Live. The question is, what do you think is contributing to the weakening of the church today, and how can we safeguard our walks in these terrible times? I'm convinced that there are various forces that are combining today to produce a church that is becoming increasingly weak and progressively ineffective. Much of what seems to be contributing to this can be seen in the lack of actual Bible teaching in many church services today. Doctrinal error has crept into the church under the guise of new revelation, and instead of firmly and clearly exposing and correcting the error, sadly, many have simply embraced it. One of the pastor's duties is that of identifying those who are corrupting the gospel. This is one of the ways that the pastor cares for the sheep. He protects them. Paul told the church at Rome in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. It seems that pastors refuse to do this because they do not want to appear unloving or harsh. Sadly, today, many Christians feel it wrong to expose and confront error in this way. Some feel it is unchristian to do so because some people are doing good things. This is because they do not believe that there's anything that is absolutely true. Someone said it is not kindness at all, but the worst form of cruelty to suggest that what people believe doesn't really matter much if they feel spiritual and do good. In fact, on the face of it, that claim is a blatant contradiction of the gospel message. Real righteousness simply cannot exist in isolation from belief in the truth to make the case for any concept of practical good that subsists apart from sound doctrine one quickly has to remove just about everything that is truly righteous from the definition of good. It doesn't take very long for that kind of thinking to undermine the foundations of Christianity itself. Today, many identifying themselves as Christians do not believe the Bible. A Culture and Media Institute survey recently surveyed 2,000 people. 87% said they believe in God. 52% said they believe the Bible is God's word. But only 36% believe in living by the Bible, and 15% said they live by their own principles, even when conflicting with God's, and 45% preferred combining God's teachings with their own beliefs. This translates into picking and choosing passages that suit our particular belief. I believe that the church needs to honor the Bible's teachings and needs to have pastors who teach God's word as it is in truth the very word of God. I also believe that the body of Christ needs to awaken to a hunger for God's word and his power. It's easier to fill halls with people wanting to attend a concert or special event than it is to fill the sanctuary 
with sincerely hungry Christians who desire truth. It is my sincere prayer that the church will once again have men of God teaching the word and that the people who come will have a sincere desire to not only be taught, but to go out and to do what is being rightly taught in the pulpits. I recently read that John Adams observed that the ministers of Philadelphia were thunder and lightning, and Jefferson reflected that pulpit oratory was a shock of electricity throughout Virginia. Perhaps we need this kind of preaching again, and perhaps the church needs to awaken to the importance of loving, receiving, and living the truth presented in the scriptures. I have great hope that God can do a new and a fresh work in our day. This is Pastor David. Thank you for listening. There's, um, there's also another video. If, if you can, follow him on, on Facebook, um, if you're on Facebook. And uh, because <clears throat> um, I love hearing from much of what he has said there and what you heard, um, we hear on a regular basis. Uh, once a month, I go to the pastor's meetings at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley, and, and I hear these things, bits and pieces as questions are asked of him. Uh, he gives us, he just shares his heart. And, um, and we, it's not the first time that I've heard this um, because these things are just, uh, they're, they're taught by him and they're expressed um, by him in, uh, in so many different ways and uh, in so many times to the pastors that go and, uh, and just fellowship, fellowship together with him and uh, glean from his wisdom. Um, he sat under Pastor Chuck Smith, and he still looks to Chuck Smith. That's my pastor. That's who, that's who uh, he gleans wisdom from, and that's um, who he, really he's, um, he's gained this, um, this understanding of fellowship and of uh, church and so on and so forth. And so um, that's who I'm, I'm really privileged to be under as well. So anyway, so that's something that, that I wanted to share with you, and it's for that reason that we are continuing through our study uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be covering the, the last portion. We've um, gone through the first section, second section, and now the third section that we've divided up. Uh, verses 38 through 50 is what we're covering this morning. And the title of this morning's message is True Family. True Family. So as we've been doing, let's stand to our feet. And we'll read verses 38 through 50 again in Matthew chapter 12. All right. Verse 38, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. 
When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with all this evil generation." Verse 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, just asking that you would speak to us personally and very intimately, Lord, that you would reveal things in our lives that perhaps are not honoring to you, and Lord, allow us to repent of those things and instead do and behave and think in ways that do glorify you. And I do pray that this morning, Father, through your word, that you would do a special work, that you would perhaps reflect the hearts of us, our hearts, and Lord, if there's anything that is not of you, that we would truly desire to do away with those things, to put them far from us and allow you, Lord, not only to indwell us, but to move and to have your way with us, that you would receive all the glory and honor. And so we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. All right, so true family. So today, do you guys have plans for today? Yeah, some of you do. Others are like, yes, we have plans. We want to have a good night's rest before 2018. But there are many things that uh, you may be thinking. I know we think about these things towards the end of the year it's been busy through from Thanksgiving all through and uh, into Christmas, and then after that, I know we have New Year's uh, celebrations, and we do things uh, with friends and family, and so on and so forth. But we think also about what are we going to do different in 2018 that we didn't so much like in 2017. We think about maybe personal accomplishments of 2017 and compare that to what perhaps we had as goals in 2017. What was accomplished, what was not accomplished, what we would do differently in 2018. What do you want to do different? I asked that of my son this morning as we were on our way uh, to here, to church, and uh, I was asking, what, what do you want to do different? You know, it's not that I wanted all of the answers right then and there in this short drive from our house to church, but it's something to think about. It's something that I believe the Lord wants us to think on a regular basis, not necessarily just at the end of the year, but throughout the year, and something that I think is definitely worthy of contemplating at this point. What do I want to continue doing the same, more of? What do I want to do less of? or nothing at all, have nothing at all to do with. Some people want a complete reset. It's like that, that button, right? It's like, I just want to reset. Just 
Like, start fresh. Like, from this point on, just something different, something completely fresh. I asked Pastor David Rosales what he does to prepare for the new year. Uh, earlier this month, we got together for our meeting, and with all the pastors there, I asked Pastor David, I said, you know, what, what do you do in preparation for the new year uh, for the church? And he, his simple answer, and the bottom line, was summed up in one word. Do you know what that is? What would you think? What, what do you think he told me? Prayer? No, didn't. It wasn't prayer. What, what, what's that? Continue? Love? Nothing. Who said that? Hey, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> That's it. Nothing. Uh, from a man who sat under the teaching of David Rosales. <laughs> nothing. He said, nothing. I don't do anything. And then he started laughing. He says, I get, I get this question asked um, quite often, especially towards the end of the year from other pastors, you know. And then I remembered, I, yeah, you know what? Last year, I think someone asked that same question. And so here I was, duh, you know, um, asking that very question that I, I had heard the answer to the year before. But he said nothing. Nothing special in terms of what we've already been doing up to this point. He says, really, if you're doing the basics, the fundamentals of Christianity, if the church is what it should be, then really it should be a continuation of what we've already been doing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because there are a lot of pastors right now who are, quote-unquote, casting vision who are laying out these goals for this coming year that really have a lot to do uh, with something else and not really the basic, the fundamentals of what the church should be and ought to be a part of doing. And that is the will of the Lord to His glory. We can find it in the Bible, and that's why some of you have asked, you know, so what, what kind of goals do you have? What especially if you're new to the church, and I tell you, hey, just read Scripture and you'll see exactly where we're going. You'll know that we, are, we hold in high esteem and we do believe that the Great Commission is the very thing that we should be a part of evangelizing, testifying of God's grace and, and love for me in my life to others. Um, we're supposed to be there as older Christians for the younger Christians, discipling them, make disciples of all nations, uh, teaching and warning and admonishing and rebuking. All of those things we ought to be doing within the church. What do, what do I want for this coming year? More of that. That's really it. More of that. If the church is active in the Great Commission as individuals and corporately, evangelizing, witnessing, being built up in the Word of God, exercising the gifts of the Spirit, encouraging and stirring up one another to good works through fellowship and worshiping God, and it is all led and powered by the Holy Spirit in love and in sound doctrine, then keep being faithful. That's what we ought to do. If spiritually speaking... You may be here this morning and you feel spiritually dry, like you're just in the desert. You have been up to this point. I can tell you right now, rejoice because there are pastures in front of you. There are green places where the Lord desires to take you. He doesn't desire for anyone to continue going through the desert. King David went through that. 
for him, it was because he had gone and sinned against the Lord. And he found himself to be longing for that intimate fellowship with the Lord. For others, sometimes it's for other reasons. It's not necessarily because we're in sin, but you know what? We're just in a place to where we haven't connected with the Lord. We've allowed certain things to creep up in our lives that have taken, taken precedence over really rejoicing in the Lord and having hope in Him. If you're feeling spiritually dry today toward Jesus, then read the Bible a little longer and more often and pray a little longer and more often. Go to church and fellowship a little longer and more often. Sometimes we tend to want to stay away. It's like, oh, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Okay. How many of you are just feeling it this morning? You just like got up, man, I'm going to church and I have no problems whatsoever. Nothing, in fact, you guys probably didn't have any issues getting here this morning, right? Yeah, you're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you came to church every time you were feeling it, if you fellowshiped every time you were feeling it, if you read the Bible every time you were feeling it, if you got down on your knees and prayed every time you were feeling it, you would never do it or seldom do it. How often do you go to work and not feel in it? Call in sick. You don't sound sick. No, I'm just sick of work. Right? <laughs> you do these things. You fellowship. You pray. You read. You do these things in a, on a consistent basis. I can tell you that something will well up inside of you. It's God's spirit moving. It's him revealing to you things that you perhaps need at the very moment and things that you need to know at that very moment to minister to you in a special way and you at one point will get out of that funk. You will understand that the world doesn't revolve around Raul, me, you, right? It doesn't. There are other people who need to be ministered to you through you in your life and God desires to do that. Really comes down to also Allowing God to work through the family of God, to show you and come alongside you, to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But you will always feel dry toward God if you don't believe. It doesn't matter how much or what you do. If you don't believe, it really doesn't matter. Do you believe that Jesus loves you and died for you and rose from the grave? Do you believe that he wants you to cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you? You see, after Jesus' resurrection, the other disciples told Thomas. You guys know who Doubting Thomas is, right? Doubting Thomas, he got his name for a reason. But it was after Jesus' res resurrection, he had revealed himself to many disciples, except for Thomas. Thomas had not seen him quite yet. And I believe it's for a reason. All of these things happen for a reason. And Thomas replied to the disciples that had been talking to him and told him, hey, we, we've seen Jesus. He's resurrected. He's alive. Really? He said this, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This was his disciple, the one that walked, heard, 
saw the miracles, all of this, sitting at the Lord's feet. And he said these words. Hold your place there and go with me to John chapter 20. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So John chapter 20. And I want to read starting in verse 26. So John chapter 20, verse 26, says eight days later, this is eight days after uh, Downing Thomas had said these words, I will never believe, unless I see it, unless I place my finger in his nail-pierced uh, hands and hit my side in his, uh, in where the spear went in, I will never believe. Eight days later, he said, it, this is what happened. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. <laughs> I find that kind of funny because the doors were locked. They were all inside. Jesus appears to them and he says, peace be with you. It's like, whoa, <laughs> right? But those are the words that he said. And this is, he said this often as he appeared to his disciples. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That life that he's speaking of is eternal life. It's, it's coming to a place of being born again of the Spirit, of knowing God's grace by faith in Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that Jesus did go to the cross and die for our sins. He was buried. On the third day was resurrected, knowing that he conquered both sin and death in that way, that he is God, and he has come to save those who don't know forgiveness. The whole of Scripture, I know that oftentimes we teach in those verses at the very end there of that chapter that this book, is, as, as this gospel, the gospel of John, was that all these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But I tell you that the whole of Scripture is written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It all points to Him from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through. And I want to ask you, what are you insisting God show you or do for you in order to fully engage with Him and love on Him? To really believe who He is and who He desires to be in your life. Where are you with the Lord? And what can you do different to gain a closer relationship with Him? I think we, we all kind of fall short. We can all kind of just have the Lord inspect our hearts. And what is it, Lord, that... I can do, that I can do away with, that I could stop short of and maybe do more of. 
that allow me, that would allow me to gain a more intimate relationship with you. Well, the, the Pharisees in our text here had just been corrected by Jesus regarding the casting out of demons, the handling of the Sabbath, and what it actually means. And the fact that the fruit that a tree bears shows exactly the kind of tree it really is, good or bad. And now these same people ask Jesus about giving them a sign. And it leads to a fuller explanation by Jesus of who he is and what an evil and adulterous generation seeks for. Instead of simply believing by what they've already seen and come to know. And this all leads to a very simple conclusion of who he is and who is and who isn't truly a genuine member of God's family. That, that's what it really leads to. All throughout, we, we read the exchange between the Pharisees, the scribes, and Jesus all the way through. He's, he's covered all of these things. And it comes to this one point, to this one conclusion in this place. And then Jesus continues to teach. But Jesus said in John 14, 15, He said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How well are we keeping his commandments in our life? The first part here in verses 38 through 42 is show me. And this is um, a part of the show me tribe that we can belong to, um, I believe. Verse 38, I want to read just the very beginning again. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We wish to see a sign from you. Are you always looking for some kind of extra sign to help you along and think that because of these signs you are following God and know Him? Like He's with you. Show, show me. Show me something of you in my life that would let me know that you are with me. How often have you done that? Listen, there are plenty of signs that you should read. They're posted all over the place of who he is and who he desires to be in your life. They're found throughout Scripture. You just have to read, understand, and follow them in the Bible. Or perhaps you're part of the Doubting Thomas clan. That's also part of the family that we can, or group that we can be a, uh, be a part of. He said, unless I see, unless I see What? His nail-pierced hands? Unless I'm able to place my finger in those holes and my hand in his side, I will never believe. Those who insist on seeing a sign are those who are really looking for a way to reject Jesus when he doesn't fit their mold. See, he doesn't really do this or do that. Is he really for me? Why doesn't he do this or do that? We're always like questioning, why, why isn't he? Those are sign seekers. Always looking for something to prove. Prove it once more. I, I, want, I want you to prove that you are truly God, that you are for me, that you are with me, and that you desire to bless me. Show me. 
See, by this time, these scribes and Pharisees had seen plenty of signs. In fact, they were trying to condemn Jesus for having healed on the Sabbath. Jesus has given sight to the blind, speech to the mute, life to the dead, steps to the paralyzed, and cast out demons from the possessed. He's done all of these things. What, what more do you want? And by the way, all of these things are well documented, are historical facts. They are what took place. These Pharisees and scribes, all of these people knew this very well. They had eyewitnesses to all of this. What more did they really desire to see? Now, what this is, is nothing more, nothing less than mocking Jesus. That's what it is. Jesus said that an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. What more do you want? It's all there to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. Can you imagine? And this is the thing. Is we can go throughout our lives, going to church, and sometimes I just think, you know what? We would just be better off if the Lord said, you know what? From here on out, no more miracles Nothing. Nothing like that. I, I'm, I'm not going to do anything that would help you think that I'm even in your presence by doing these extra things. Um, healing marriages, um, healing people physically, um, just doing things that would absolutely boggle your mind. I, I'm not going to do those things. Why? Because I simply want you to believe my word. And know that I sent my son to die for you, and through belief in him, without ever seeing anything else again, that the Bible would suffice as enough miracles to prove that I am God, and that I am able to save you. What if that were the case? Would that be okay? Okay. Would the shed blood of Christ be enough for you to rejoice in the hope that you have in Christ? There are some churches that seek signs in order to see people come to Jesus. But there are many miracles in the Bible that didn't do anything for those that really choose to not believe. I, th I think we can have churches full of all, all kinds of things going on. Miracles happening. People being healed. And sometimes people point to that more than they point to the healer. It's like, that's happening. That's, that's cool. That's good. But you know what? If we stop waiting for something to do it for us, it would serve us well. Can we just get to the point, church, to where we just simply believe? That's really what Jesus was telling Thomas. Okay. More blessed are those who haven't seen and believe. You haven't seen Jesus resurrected, have you? No, not before you. And yet God tells us, believe in him. And more blessed are you if you believe in him. People see something sometimes and are absolutely amazed and they say in reaction, that makes me a believer, right? You've heard that said, 
Does it really, or is that just a way of expressing your temporary awe? True believers have one basic characteristic, and we'll get to that later. You want a sign? Well, here's a sign, the Lord said. You'll have one, the sign of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet who ended up reluctantly preaching in Nineveh. He had actually gone the opposite way, and then he went towards Nineveh. And yet, through his life, we see how it reflected prophetically the life of Jesus. How it was that he was going to, his life was going to be given for the sake of the people. He was going to spend three days in the earth, as Jonah did in the belly of the well. Three days and three nights. uh, Jonah reluctantly preached to Nineveh, through which they repented and were saved from God's judgment. Please note, though, that although that's a reflection, that's an illustration, it's a forward prophecy of Jesus' life, burial, death, burial, and resurrection, that there is also repentance that's necessary there for the people of Nineveh to be saved and for God's judgment to be withdrawn. God desires to do that in our lives, and this is what we have come to know. What saves us? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe? It's our belief. We believe, we simply surrender to Him, and He saves us. Through that belief, belief we, we are turning from sin and running to the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ and His grace. That's it. They repented, they turned, and they were saved from God's judgment. Jonah's life was a prophecy of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of this, you could say that Jonah's prophecy was preaching far beyond his preaching to Nineveh. But even now serves as a sign as to who Jesus is and what he did as he went to the cross, was buried, and resurrected for the sake of the world who is against him. There is a discussion as to, of course, it's ongoing, as to whether Jesus was buried for a full three days and three nights. But it suffices to say that a portion of a night and a day would be considered a day and a night. Jesus did not lie. Doesn't lie. And he will never lie. So this sign is sufficient as far as I'm concerned for the sake of demonstrating to the scribes and Pharisees of that day and this day that Jesus, the Son of Man, will likewise be buried and resurrected from the grave. And they saw it. They experienced it for themselves. Jesus said that the men of Nineveh will rise up and judge this generation and condemn it in Jesus' response to the Pharisees and the scribes. How? Why? Or how? Because they repented. They repented with much less than you and I have before us. They repented. Are you insisting on more signs to believe? This is what Jesus had responded to the Pharisees and the scribes with. Their repentance came through belief in what they had been told. They had faith, simple but not blind. Jonah preached for 40 days and without any miracles to authorize, quote-unquote, his preaching. You know how long Jesus preached for? Three years. That was his ministry, right? For three years. He preached for three years and abundant miracles. And yet, there were many who did not believe. And that's why Jesus was saying, Nineveh repented 
And why, do, why, are, why are they going to come and, and judge you? Why? Because they believed with much less than what you have before you in the proof. Much less. Something greater than Jonah is here, is what Jesus said. Look at the queen of the south. Who's the queen of the south? Uh, she was in awe with the riches and wisdom of Solomon, who was the son of David. Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 8 tells us exactly who this woman is. She is one who came from a long distance to come and see the kingdom of which Solomon was over. And she said in her own words, Oh, from what I heard, this is much greater, much greater. And she said this, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever, he has made you king over them, that you may execute justice and righteousness. This, so this came from her mouth. You can't say that unless you believe who, who the God of Solomon is. You, you can't say that. It's like, your, your king has done this. Your king, your God, your Lord. Blessed be the Lord your God. Well, she came to truly believe in the God of Solomon, but the son of David has come. You see, the son of David is Solomon's earthly fact or reality. And that's a small s. He was literally the son of David. But Jesus' messianic title, one of them, is son of David. The son of David has come. And behold, Jesus said, something greater than Solomon is here. Are you looking for God to continually show you signs in order to satisfy and maintain your belief? How easily it is to fall into that place. Or clean me. How about clean me, Lord? Just clean my life up. Verse 43 says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. And it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of that person is worse than the first, so also will, be it, uh, so also will it be with this evil generation. So another time, Jesus refers to the generation as being evil. What generation? The generation that seeks these types of things in order to be content and satisfied, be fulfilled. Show me and clean me. Maybe you're not part of the show me tribe, but part of the clean me tribe. Make my life perfect and without major issues, and I will believe. Clean my life up, Jesus. Make everything perfect. Let me tell you, this side of heaven, life will never be perfect. The only perfection we have in our life is Jesus Christ. That, that's it. Though life may fall apart around us, one constant that should always be before us is Jesus Christ and Him alone. In Him we place our hope, in Jesus Christ. I can't wait to get to be with Him in His presence in all of His glory. That, that's going to be perfection. That's His glory that I'm going to be a part of and, and, and join with everyone else who believes in His riches forevermore. That'd be nice if Jesus could make our lives perfect right here on earth. There's a place where 
It will be perfect. It will be amazing. Jesus, through those verses, basically says that there's a person that can be all well and organized and everything taken care of and even come to a place where Jesus has cast out demons from this person's life. And he has the authority to cast out those demons. But if genuine faith is not placed in Jesus Christ, and that person is not indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then the demons could come back and possess that very same person, and the person would be more miserable than before. A man indwelt by the Holy Spirit cannot be possessed by demons. A demon can attack, oppress, and tempt, but it cannot possess the same body that has been purchased by the blood of Christ. It's been ransomed, bought at a great price. God's temple in which the Spirit dwells. And if you're jotting down some notes, write down Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. You can refer to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And 1 John 4, 4 among many others. You can take a look at those, which is ample evidence of the fact that a Christian that's indwelt by God's Spirit cannot also be indwelt by a demon. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, The foul fiend calls the man my house. His audacity is amazing. He did not build or buy that house, and he has no right to to it, close quote. This is what we need to know, and we ought to know very well. By the way, there are some that teach that, yeah, a Christian cannot be possessed, demon-possessed, but can be demonized. It's just a different word, same meaning. You can't kind of label it differently and expect it to come across as being so. You cannot be demonized. You cannot be demon-possessed if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We know from the life of Job that Satan can inflict pain and anguish, can do things in our lives, right? But he doesn't have possession over our lives. We see it in, you know, the life of others. The Apostle Paul, he had this, this thorn in his side that served to buffet him, to humble him, right? And he called it this, uh, this thorn, and it came from where? From Satan, right? But Paul was never demonized, nor was he possessed by any kind of demon. If a person is born again of the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, then it cannot be possessed by anything else. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. If a person is looking to have Jesus be his spiritual housekeeper, a maid that keeps the place clean, but has no real desire to have Jesus basically make his residence in that life, then the danger is that this person can at one point be more miserable than before. It goes along with having wanting to, to have signs demonstrated to us. Like, you know what, Lord, just, just do this in my life. Please just... Like, I have these issues, and I want them all taken care of. They all get taken care of. Let's say, for instance, he does move in your life. And he desires that that would draw you unto him. And then with that, everything gets taken care of. Everything is good. And then you're like, I was just kidding. I, I, I want everything, you know, everything's good now. 
Now I'm going to just go do what I want to do because now I have the freedom to do that. I'm good financially. I'm good with my marriage. I'm good with this. I'm good with that. And now I'm just going to do whatever I want. Well, you haven't really come to surrender your life to Jesus Christ fully. And therefore, the last state of that person can be even worse than the first state. You find, you find yourself absolutely miserable. A person is better because he has Jesus and Jesus has him. There's a, there's a peace because there's a hope that is certain of forgiveness and being eternally in God's family. One day we will be in his presence for all eternity. And instead of demanding Jesus to show you more or clean your life up externally, really what we should be doing is placing our faith in him. And I encourage you to do that. Place your faith in him because he can and desires to forgive you and give you eternal life by grace through faith in him. We just had Christmas. We had the, the, the exchanging of gifts and all that. And, and for some kids, it doesn't matter how much you give them, you can't satisfy them. Not content. Right? You give them the latest, greatest. Right? And it's like, Wow just can't do enough. Sometimes that's how we act. It's like, just do a little bit more. Do a little bit more, and it's almost like we were, we're saying, do, do more, and I'll, I'll, I'll believe you at that point. I'll really have faith in you. If you just show me, you just clean me up a little bit more. Do it again. I don't know how many times I've seen people come and go. You perhaps have seen some people come and go. They have marital issues, they're in church. They have relationship issues with their kids, here they are in church. Financial issues, here they are. Everything's all taken care of. They get back up on their feet. Where are they? Oh, hey, buddy, I've missed you. Oh, I know, I've just been so busy. I have so many other things going on. You, you, know, that, you know that job that we were praying for? Yeah, I got it, and I have to work on Sundays. Every, every Sunday? Yeah, every Sunday. Wednesdays too? Yeah, every Wednesday too. Can't be there, sorry. Maybe next time. Where are they? Show me again, Lord. Clean it up again. And, and then I'll go. Then I'll believe. We shouldn't be demanding things like that. We should simply live lives that are content in God's grace and His forgiveness and His love that He's already demonstrated to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus simply says, believe in me. Verse 46, while He was still speaking to the people, behold, His mother and His brothers stood outside asking to speak to Him. But He replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Simple, a simple response by Jesus. No show me, no clean me, but listen to Jesus who says, Believe me, Jesus' mothers and brothers came to the place where he was. He was teaching. He was, he was responding to the Pharisees and the scribes, teaching his disciples around him. And someone comes and tells him, Hey, your, 
your, your mom's outside. Your mom's outside and, and, and your brothers are outside. I wonder, what is it that they wanted to speak to Jesus about? Why didn't they just come in? Hey, some fellows from the synagogue are here and they're asking some questions, kind of responding to them. And Well, why didn't they just come in? They, no, they waited outside and they asked for Jesus to come to them because they wanted to speak to Jesus. We can say this. We don't know, but we can say that the religious leaders were against Jesus, right? That's a fact. And could have gone to the family, could have gone to the family to intervene. It's kind of like, hey, listen, Jesus, your son, your brother, he's kind of, yeah, he's like saying things that just we don't agree with. We don't see eye to eye with. And, and knowing the influence and the power that the religious leaders of the time had. I don't know, but could that have been? Could have been. It's amazing the influence that even within the church, okay? Even within the church, some people with power, with authority, can influence a small group of people here and there to do things that are contrary to God's will. Stand, stand with the Lord. Stand in His Word. Stand in truth. Regardless if you're the minority. Just stand in the truth. Just stand there. You can never go wrong in doing so. Let me ask you this. Could Jesus have been more controversial than He was? No, right? It was extremely controversial to all of those religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, called them whitewashed tombs. Repent. He called them all kinds of different things also. Jesus honored, this is one thing that he did do, he honored his mother for he was without sin. But she did not have special influence over him to do anything other than the will of the Father. And they did not have special privileges that no one else had. And Jesus made reference to a greater family and eternal family. Two factual things that we can see here. Number one, Mary has more children, thus debunking the Catholic claim of her perpetual virginity. That's in Scripture. It's right there. We just read it. His mother and his brothers were outside. Familial. Family. Secondly, Mary had no special place as co-redemptress alongside Jesus. She did not die on the cross. She's not co-redemptress. She and them had no better place than anyone else, but they had the opportunity to demonstrate their faith by also doing the will of the Father. That is what Jesus desired above all else, that people would come to faith in who he is. We see here a couple things. Number one, Jesus regards family to be those who believe and obey God. And secondly, Jesus exemplifies the love we should have for each other within the body of Christ, within the church. He pointed to the people who were within. I, I don't think he pointed to the Pharisees and the scribes. But he pointed to those who believed who he was, who were his disciples who believed. Who are my mothers and, and brothers and sisters? Right here, the ones who do the will of the Father. That, that's who they are. The one thing I desire above all else for my family is that they would come to know Jesus. Because that is the family that will be with me in Jesus 
for all eternity. They'll know salvation. Outside of knowing Jesus, they remain in their sin and therefore in condemnation and forever be separated from the Father. That's the truth. I will be about my Father's business. And I know sometimes, as Pastor David said, sometimes we can come across, perhaps not intentionally, but perceptively, as being harsh because we stand in the truth. But I do pray that my, my blood family will at one point, all of them come to know Jesus personally. I'm sure that was Jesus' desire as well, that none should perish, but that all should come, should reach repentance. Remember that the things that are written in the Bible are, are so that we may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. In closing, I'm going to ask you those questions again. What are you insisting God to show you or do for you in order to fully engage with him and love on him, to rejoice in him? I, I think those are important questions. I think the Lord placed those questions on my heart to ask the church, what are those things, what are those conditions that we're setting on the Lord to fulfill in order for us to rejoice in him once again, to be refreshed in the spirit, to walk in the newness of life in Christ, to fully engage him with our love, to really believe who he is and who he desires to be in our lives. Where are you with the Lord? What can you do different to gain a closer relationship with him? As we're looking at 2018, I think those are the things that we should ask. You know, to be skinnier and buffer, you know, and all those things. It's like, okay, those are external. Those, those, those profit a little physically, right? But what really profits greatly and eternally is that intimacy with the Lord. That's what profits. So I would encourage you, read the Bible a little longer and more often. Pray a little longer and more often. Go to church and fellowship a little longer and more often. Allow Jesus and his family to come alongside you to encourage you in your relationship with him. May that be what we focus on and look to from today on and keep that before you. I want to close with this. And that is found in 1 John chapter 1. I'm just going to read this chapter. It's only a few verses, uh, 10 verses. This is the Apostle John. He said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. He says, we've touched, we've held him, we heard from him. We've spent time with him. In intimately, we've been with him. That, that which we know to be true, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, all those things, all of those things, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. 
and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, which was revealed to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. I want to end with that word because it speaks of humility. Of, of complete surrender before the Lord. It's John, the beloved of Christ, sharing his heart to you and I and saying that this is who we testify of. And I tell you, we ought to rejoice in him, the fact that we have salvation through him. For he is real, he is true, and he desires to extend to you his hand of love in grace, and in love. The question is, will you take it? That really is the bottom. Will you take it? Will you receive him as Lord and Savior? And as we close, I would ask you to just spend a moment. I want to take just a, just a moment. Just be silent before the Lord. Ask him to perhaps forgive you of anything that is not of him. And he will forgive you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and ask him for his grace once more. He desires to do that. He desires to forgive us. And he desires that we would cling to him, draw close to him, and know the fullness of his joy in that relationship with him, to rejoice once more. And I pray that we would do that. If you don't know salvation, confess your sins, ask him for forgiveness, and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. It's as simple as that. You can do that in your seat right now, and I pray that you would do it with all sincerity. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the love that you have demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. We know that there's no other way. It's a, it's a simple confession, a surrender, a, a humble reception of the grace that you have given to us and made available to us through your son, Jesus Christ. That as we confess him as Lord and Savior, as we ask him for forgiveness, you promise us, you promise us that we would have eternal life. And I pray for anyone here who does not know Jesus as Lord and as Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. 
that today would be the day in which the Holy Spirit comes and makes residence in their lives, sealing them for the day of redemption. That there's nothing to do. It's all been done on the cross. That they simply cry out to you, ask for forgiveness, and receive you as Lord and as Savior. I pray for all of us, Father, that we would keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. That we would walk in a way that is worthy of the salvation that we have come to know. That we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. With complete honor and reverence for you. That we would bless you in the days to come until you come back for your church, Jesus. Lord, may we stay focused on you and live for you to your glory. And may this church, Father, be a mighty force in this community and anywhere we go that we would reflect the great commission, evangelizing, testifying of your love and grace, that we would truly be invested and involved in the lives of each other in ways that bless you, discipling one another, encouraging one another, warning one another, all of those things, Lord, that we would be given to serving you and blessing you all the days of our lives. We thank you for your faithfulness We thank you for your salvation, and we thank you for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.